Well, COVID uh, totally screwed me over. I had a mental breakdown like two weeks ago. At first, I didn't think that COVID had an effect on me, but it did because of the isolation. I uh, was in contact with someone who had COVID and I had to self-isolate for seven days. I just feel like I don't see anyone. <laughs> I don't see any friends because I, I, I follow the protocol and uh, my friend had to pick me up. Um, one of my best friends and took me for McDonald's or something because I was having a breakdown. I was going out four and five times a week to different things, activities. So when COVID happened, all of a sudden I was not able to walk as much as I had been before. And uh, so now I'm struggling to regain my ability to walk. It throws my whole routine off. I'm an active lifestyle person. So like the activities help in terms of like not being bored or depressed or anything like that. Like, but yeah, it's truly for a loop. My name is Phaedra Aldridge. Welcome to Look Again, Mental Illness Reexamined, a podcast brought to you by the BC Schizophrenia Society, otherwise known as BCSS, as well as our BC partner organizations. Most of us know that seniors are at the greatest risk of dying from the coronavirus and that it can have long-term effects. So what if you have schizophrenia? How does COVID-19 affect a person with serious mental illness? There's some disturbing new studies indicating that schizophrenia is in fact the second highest risk factor for mortality due to COVID-19. Today on Look Again, we're asking, so what's behind these findings? What is the lived experiences of families and people dealing with schizophrenia? And how does the knowledge of this potential link between schizophrenia and death from COVID affect the way we think? Today, we're going to be talking about all of these issues and what we can be doing about it right now. So my guest today is Jean, but that's not her real name. Jean's brother, who does have schizophrenia, is going through a pretty rough patch right now, so we just want to protect his identity. Jean, thank you so much for having the courage to speak with me today and for sharing your story. Thanks for having me. So let's start off. Tell us a little bit about your brother. Let's talk about him for a while. I guess to start off on a positive note, at least today he can talk again. <laughs> yeah, uh, about a year ago, you know, we could have a conversation just fine. But when COVID hit last year, he basically slowly stopped talking to the point where he could only answer us by nodding yes or no. And, and I think the crazy thing is we thought he was just depressed or being quiet on purpose, we actually had no idea that actually he had this brain disorder that was slowly getting worse and worse. It's such a difficult time right now for everybody. And when you bring in schizophrenia into this environment of COVID-19, it's incredibly difficult. So when did you and your family start to suspect that it was more than the anxiety that we all feel right now during this global pandemic. When did you start to think something is seriously wrong? I would say, well, he was coping very well before COVID, right? He was someone who was just, you know, on the verge of going through some life transitions, looking for a new job, that sort of thing. And when lockdown happened, 
you know, he's, uh, I don't know if we mentioned this before, he's on the autism spectrum. Um, he, you know, had his routine, which of course for ASD folks is really important. And when that broke down, you know, that was really when things started to change for him. And all that stress that we all feel, right? Catching COVID, not being able to get out of the house, do exercise, see friends, all that stress triggered something that we didn't realize until quite late was developing into full-blown schizophrenia. So what really started to make us think this was strange was around last summer, he told me that people on social media were making death threats. Well, that was his reality. He was living that clear as day. They were going to kill him. And, you know, as a, as a sister, here I was, tell me about this. You know, show me the screenshots. Who is this person? I'm going to go beat them up for you, right? And it was very hard to verify, you know, online. Things are always kind of like you're not really sure what's going on. And it was only when he had progressed to the point where he was curled up inside, too scared to go on the internet, too scared to go outside, sleeping all the time. And he couldn't even bring himself to eat by himself. He couldn't shower, brush his teeth. I was like, I was trying to figure out, Google, Google these symptoms. What is this? What is happening to him? Right when we said, okay, we we need to to somehow get you to a hospital because there, you've gotten to a point where you're unable to take care of yourself, and um, that was when uh, we were able to get a diagnosis. I get the feeling that you are probably feeling that you were stuck in the middle. So how how did you cope? watching your mother go through this, watching her son, as well as what you were going through as, as a sister. So I think she was the front line, right? She was there every day trying to help him keep alive, you know, eating and trying to, to keep him going day to day. So I was in full-blown, let's problem solve this, right? Doing the research. What, what is going on? What, what supports are there? Is, is this even normal? Because for the longest time, we thought that it was his autism, right? How do you know that when someone has repetitive movements and they're being difficult and they're not speaking very much, they're just really, really quiet? How do you go to thinking that I'm going to accept them wholeheartedly as a person with autism to this person needs medication because they actually have the symptoms of a brain illness, right? It was so hard to, to even think that it was something else. Having to go through that part on my side and doing that research was how I was coping, I think, was just, I need to learn more about this. I need to join the Facebook groups and then see how we're not alone. Something where we thought, you know, oh, you're not, you're not being able to brush your teeth. How could that be so hard? And then realizing actually everybody else on that Facebook group says, yay, today I managed to take a shower. And that's something to celebrate because it is so hard for people with schizophrenia to take a shower. And that is a symptom of this disease. It's not their fault at all. This pandemic has affected all of us so deeply. And now when, if you were to have delusions and hallucinations, I can't imagine what that would be like for an individual living with schizophrenia. But Jean, you witnessed this. You saw your brother firsthand and you saw the impacts of COVID when you saw him laying there. And, and as you said, not being able to shower, not being able to feed himself. Was there anything that you could say or do to your brother to alleviate at least a little bit of his stress during this difficult time? I don't think there was anything. And the reason is because schizophrenia can't be reasoned with. When somebody has schizophrenia, 
they live in a reality that is 100% real to them. There's always something in the brain because the brain is uh, literally feeding you these fears. There will always be something that will keep them in this state of anxiety that debilitate them. So unfortunately not. There was nothing that we could say that could make him feel better. The only thing you can do when they get into this state is get them the medication they need. So what symptoms was he displaying when he was diagnosed with autism? Were there similarities between autism and after he was diagnosed with schizophrenia? Yeah, so a lot of it is these repetitive thoughts, which in schizophrenia are usually repetitive thoughts about somebody perhaps threatening them. In his case, it was a repetitive thought and maybe OCD type of behavior on oxygen levels. So when he was around that age, he also was constantly checking oxygen levels. And it got so bad that he actually had to quit college at that time. Anything that was out of the ordinary unfortunately, we attributed to that autism diagnosis. If you could offer a piece of advice right now for families out there with a loved one with schizophrenia or another serious mental illness, especially during COVID, what piece of advice would you give those individuals? I would say, depending on where they are in their journey, a hospitalization of your loved one is a very difficult thing to do. Okay, so someone who is experiencing a psychotic episode due to their illness could fight you, not want to get treatment, not want to go to the hospital. One of the ways that we managed to do this was through an intervention that's actually made for people who are addicted to alcohol. You know, I don't know if you've heard of these things called interventions, right? And so I found this intervention online It involves each person in their circle, their family, writing a letter to them. And you write a letter to them that says, you know, I love you, um, but here's how your behavior is affecting me. For example, I love you, but when you do this, it makes me, it's very hard on me because so-and-so. Please go get treated at a hospital, right? And so we all went around and we read our letters. And by the end of it, he was, you know, he was shaking his head the whole time. But by the end of it, as about half an hour passed, he started to say, okay, I think I think I will go to the hospital to get treated. So surrounding them by love and, you know, not placing blame on them and just saying how how their actions are affecting their loved ones. You talked a little bit about hope and you talked about, you know, the importance of getting treatment. And I think that is one of the key messages as well about schizophrenia is that Schizophrenia can be scary, especially to people that have no idea what schizophrenia is. It can be scary, but there is hope. How is your brother doing right now, Jean? There are still up and downs because it takes sometimes a month or more to get used to these medications, to find a good dosage, avoid the side effects that come along with it. So there's still some instability and panic attacks. You know, maybe they're getting fewer and far between, but they're still there. But I was able, like I said, finally to hear him say some words uh, this last weekend. And it was when he gave me a hug and I said, I love you. And he was able to say, I love you too. And that really was just so overwhelming because that these last six months have been so hard and that really warmed my heart. Wow. To hear the words, I love you, must have been really powerful. I think having somebody who has got your back 
when you yourself have no idea what's going on and is too scared to go on the internet to research these things, you know, that kind of advocacy from family is really what I think is pushing forward recovery in, in I think, our case, which is probably an ideal case, to be honest. You know, when my, my brother first got admitted because of COVID, I wasn't able to go with him, right? That's the, that's the rule for hospitals. They can't have anyone go with him, go with them. But the problem was he was um, experiencing catatonia, which means that he was basically like a zombie. He couldn't speak. Um, he could just kind of get pushed along and he would walk in one direction. So when he got to the hospital and the doctor said, what's wrong? It was just silence, right? How could they diagnose and, and treat someone who can't even fend for themselves at all? So they gave him a bunch of drugs and then they released him. And in that, at that first hospitalization, we still didn't have any idea of what was going on. I'm just going to read something out. And this was published January 27th, so just a few months ago. And it states, researchers at NYU Grossman School of Medicine showed that people with schizophrenia are almost three times more likely to die of COVID-19 than those without schizophrenia. Three times more likely. And obviously researchers are still trying to determine why they think this and they are starting to believe that it actually has something to do with the biology of schizophrenia itself that's making those who have it more vulnerable to this disease or to this illness. So I wanted to read that out because that is pretty powerful. The fact that it's three times more likely. What are your thoughts on this latest research? It's terrifying. (laughs) Right. I mean, my brother is already deathly terrified of COVID. Every time he had to go to the hospital, it was get the help he needed or catch COVID in his mind. Right. There had actually been an outbreak at the hospital when he was there, which is was terrifying for him. If he knew this on top of I'm definitely not going to tell him because that would um, be even more uh, scary for him. When we think of COVID and who it affects, we think people who are older and we hear about that and that's who we're vaccinating first. And then we don't realize that another hugely vulnerable population with schizophrenia that also could die. All these, you know, amazing researchers that are looking into schizophrenia right now, this just proves even more the need to ensure that people with schizophrenia are being included in this next rollout plan for the vaccination. Absolutely. Jean, I just so admire you as as an individual and I just think you're phenomenal. The strength that you've displayed both in researching everything you possibly can, either about autism as well as schizophrenia, and uh, you're going to be an expert in this before you know it. (laughs) And I just think you're fantastic. And thank you for taking the time to speak with me today. I've so enjoyed, I've learned so much from you. you. You've also affected me. So thank you for taking the time to speak with me today. I truly do appreciate it. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. You're listening to Look Again, Mental Illness Reexamined, a podcast brought to you by the BC Schizophrenia Society and BC Partner Organizations. I'm your host, Phaedra Aldridge. This podcast would not be possible without the support of the entire community. From the bottom of our hearts, we want to thank you for caring about mental illness. Together, we truly can make a difference. Welcome back to Look Again, Mental Illness Reexamined. I'm Phaedra. Thanks for sticking with us. And now we're going to pick up where we left off. There has been a recent study released from NYU Langone in New York City. 
It revealed that there's a higher risk of mortality from COVID-19 for individuals with schizophrenia. In fact, people with schizophrenia spectrum disorders had 2.7 times the odds of dying from COVID-19 compared to patients without a mental illness. NYU Langone is a world-class academic medical center, and Dr. Caitlin Namani, the lead author of the study, is a neuropsychiatrist with NYU Langone and with the Nathan Klein Institute for Psychiatric Research, also in New York, and we get to speak with her today. Dr. Namani, thanks, and welcome to Look Again. Thank you so much for having me. So we're so excited to speak with you and to get more details on your study. So now let's talk about it. How many people did you look at and under what conditions? So we included uh, over 7,300 patients in our study with lab-confirmed COVID infection within the NYU system, which includes four acute care hospitals across the New York City area, in addition to over 200 outpatient offices. All of the patients in our study had previously established care within our system, and uh, about a, a thousand of them had a history of an anxiety, mood disorder, or schizophrenia spectrum disorder prior to infection. Um, the patients in our study developed COVID during the spring of last year, between March and May of 2020, uh, at which time the, the pandemic was at its peak in New York and was the global epicenter of the pandemic. What prompted you to begin this study? At the time that we decided to pursue the study, there was very little known about what put people at higher risk for COVID. We knew um, older age, male sex, cardiovascular conditions were associated with increased risk, but no one had looked at psychiatric illness as a risk factor. And I thought that this was really important particularly in a setting where resources such as testing and hospital beds were so limited. Prior research has suggested that patients with psychiatric illness and schizophrenia in particular have um, a much lower life expectancy and are at higher risk of developing severe infections, including pneumonia. So determining whether schizophrenia and other psychiatric disorders were risk factors for severe COVID was important. I think it still is in a setting where testing, treatment and protective interventions are being allocated based on risk and particularly important for patients who sometimes have difficulty communicating the symptoms that they're experiencing and, and advocating for themselves. And I know it goes beyond where people with schizophrenia or other serious mental illnesses are living, for example, and it's something in the illness itself. But why do you think that is? What is inherent in the illness itself that increases the risk of mortality? That's the million dollar question now. Uh, and and um, it's it's really what I'm I'm most interested in, and I'm I'm not sure that this phenomenon that we're seeing is specific to COVID. For several decades now, we have seen that patients with schizophrenia are at increased risk of frequent and severe infections, both in childhood before they are diagnosed with schizophrenia, and later in adulthood as well. So Mark Olson, one of the um, co-authors of our study, published a study in JAMA Psychiatry a few years ago, which showed that um, individuals with schizophrenia are at seven-fold increased risk of dying from pneumonia than the general population. What was unique about COVID was that for the first time, we could look at the effects of a single virus at a single point in time 
and control for all of these additional risk factors that might contribute to increased mortality in this population, obesity, cardiovascular disease, smoking, access to care, and really tease out the relationship between schizophrenia and infection. Um, and what we're seeing is, is increased risk. And this is, you know, what's been described in association with schizophrenia and other viral infections for decades. It's just become a lot more clear in the setting. When we were introducing your study, when we were talking earlier, we had said that people with schizophrenia spectrum disorders had 2.7 times the odds of dying from COVID-19 compared to patients without a mental illness. How does that compare to individuals with another mental illness, such as mood and or anxiety disorders? Right. So the, the two other um, patient populations that we looked at in our study were patients with mood disorders and patients with anxiety disorders. And we actually didn't see increased risk in these populations. And this, this came as somewhat of a surprise. I believe that there is truly something unique to schizophrenia itself that involves immune dysregulation that might be inherent to the, to the disorder, and that this might not apply to other psychiatric disorders. So, you know, our, our, our psychiatric diagnostic system is not perfect, and it's hard to draw clear lines between diagnoses, and a lot of times patients are given multiple diagnoses. But I think that there is a difference between a patient with schizophrenia and somebody um, who has a history of mild depression. These might truly be distinct illnesses, and the pathophysiology of these illnesses might be different. So, you know, for instance, in schizophrenia, our best animal model of schizophrenia actually involves infecting mice with a viral infection during their second trimester of pregnancy. And what we see in these mice is that after adolescence, they start to um, develop cognitive issues and they socialize differently with other mice. And that's our best animal model of schizophrenia. That's not true for um, disorders like anxiety and depression. And so I think that an alteration of the immune system might be where things start for patients with, with a schizophrenia spectrum disorder, and that might not be true for other illnesses. You had touched on this before about the certain social or cultural factors that can play a role in the COVID mortality rate. For example, race-related factors, age, gender, access to healthcare, neighborhoods, et cetera, et cetera. How did you factor these things into your study? So um, I think there's, there's really two ways in which we've seen socioeconomic risk factors um, contribute to disparities in COVID-related mortality. Um, one is from increased rates of infection due to environmental factors like crowded housing, lack of access to personal protective equipment, occupations that put people at higher risk of exposure to the virus. Um, and the second is related to decreased access to care, which might be related to things like distance from the nearest hospital or medical facility, lack of treatment seeking when needed, which could be related to failure to recognize symptoms when they arise, financial concerns, other reasons. In this particular study, infection rates and access to care were unlikely to contribute to what we saw. And that's because our study was limited to patients with access to testing and treatment within the NYU system. We couldn't capture the patients that never made it to the hospital. We couldn't capture the patients that never made it in for, for testing. And we only included patients who had already established care in the system so that we could ensure we adequately captured their medical and psychiatric history prior to infection. You know, surprisingly, the rate of positive COVID test results within our population 
for schizophrenia patients was lower. And to me, this suggests that our, our population was unlikely, our schizophrenia population was unlikely to be skewed towards the sickest of the sick. Um, if anything, it looked like surveillance might have been a bit increased in this population. You know, we took demographic variables into account, such as age, sex, and race, because those were things that we could look at in the electronic record. And the risk that was associated with schizophrenia was similar before and after taking those factors into account. So based on that, do you think the rates could be even higher then? Because as you said, that you, you only saw the individuals that had received treatment. You were only capturing that population. So do you think the numbers could actually be higher than 2.7? I think they absolutely could. But, you know, interestingly, in um, South Korea, where um, healthcare is not only provided free by the government, but is mandated by the government, um, they found a similar risk associated with um, psychotic spectrum disorders. And in Israel, um, in a nationwide study that was recently published, they found a very similar increase in risk as well, around three times. So this seems to be a replicated finding in multiple places. In the U.S., could it have been even higher than what we found um, owing to patients that didn't actually make it in for testing and treatment? Absolutely. Earlier... On the podcast, we spoke to a woman whose brother has schizophrenia, and she told us that COVID made it extremely difficult for him to access help. And then for her to learn that he might be at higher risk of dying from COVID, well, it was just absolutely devastating news for her and her family, obviously. So what do you hope your study can accomplish in terms of protecting people who suffer from this mental illness and for people like this, uh, you know, such as a woman that we spoke to earlier? I'm really sorry to hear this, and as someone with a family history of schizophrenia myself, I understand how hard it can be to get our loved ones the, the treatment that we need. My hope is that my study and that other research that's established schizophrenia as a high-risk condition will help policymakers and clinicians recognize this as a priority group uh, for vaccination, for testing, for targeted preventive measures. And perhaps more importantly, after COVID is gone, because uh, I do think that it's, it's on its way out and we're seeing a, a light at the end of the tunnel, that we might recognize the importance of preventive care um, for other conditions in this population, you know, for cancer screenings, for cardiovascular disease, for immunizations to other viruses. Um, and this might require resources and interventions at both an individual level and public health level. But my hope is that schizophrenia will, will be more on the radar and kind of uh, back in mainstream medicine where it belongs. Were you surprised by these results that you and your team found? You know, I wasn't, I wasn't. So, I, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a neuropsychiatrist and my, my whole area of interest was um, looking at interactions between the brain and the immune system. Um, and as I was finishing my training, that was sort of the focus of uh, my research. And I had been really interested by this connection between schizophrenia, infections, and autoimmune disease. For the past several years, it's, it's sort of where I've focused most of my attention in terms of my research. So I expected that we were going to see um, worse outcomes in patients with schizophrenia in the setting of COVID. 
What I didn't expect was the magnitude of this effect after taking all of these um, additional risk factors into account. I mean, we had a list of 20 different variables that we were looking at. We looked at smoking. We looked at obstructive lung disease. We looked at, uh, you know, high blood pressure and um, history of heart attacks and all of these things. And the fact that we saw this increased risk after controlling for all of these medical conditions that disproportionately affect people with schizophrenia uh, was really quite surprising. What made you delve into this on a personal level? And you touched on it earlier that you said that you do have a f- family history with schizophrenia. Do you? What role do you think that played in your decision to pursue this study? I think schizophrenia is one of the most poorly understood and fascinating illnesses out there. It's a patient population that I really love to work with clinically. It's one that I really want to understand better. And it has just really blown my mind that despite decades of research trying to better understand what underlies this illness and how we can treat it better, that so little progress has been made. So can you paint a picture for us as to what it was like as a neuropsychiatrist to be surrounded by COVID especially with a population that we're talking about right now? You know, we were just so blindsided when it happened. The hospital was just um, overspilling. There were body bags being taken out of the, and I lived in hospital housing, seeing all of this unfold. They were calling in psychiatrists to the ICU because they were so shorthanded. I mean, it was an absolute horror. Um, and so, um, you know, I'm, yoga and meditation wasn't really what got me through that period. It was trying to understand what was happening, read everything that was out there, understand what it meant for the patients that I was taking care of. Um, and, uh, you know, we knew that as things traveled from New York, that other places would be affected after us and would be would benefit from the things that we learned when we were just, you know, so blindsided by things last spring last spring when we didn't really know anything about this virus. It was hard to believe that it was real until it was there. And it just, it just all happened so fast. Um, So at that point, you know, we weren't even, we weren't thinking about the mental health effects of a quarantine or, you know, the scariness of a virus. We were just trying to get through our day to day and pull together to, um, you know, treat the people that were pouring into the hospital. Thank you for devoting your time and your research to to this population. So thank you very much for being on our show today, Dr. Namoni. Thank you so much for inviting me. It was a real pleasure. And now I want to thank you. I want to thank our incredible guests today on Look Again, Mental Illness Reexamined. And of course, we're going to be posting all of the research studies that Dr. Namoni talked about today on bcss.org. And I want to thank you, you for listening and for tuning in. Your support means absolutely everything. Mental illness literacy is so important. It's important to you, to me, and to us as a society. Together, I know we can do better. Talk to you soon. This podcast is brought to you by the BC Schizophrenia Society and the BC Partners for Mental Health and Substance Use Information. 
We're a group of nonprofit agencies providing good quality information to help individuals and families maintain or improve their mental well-being. The BC Partners members are Anxiety Canada, BC Schizophrenia Society, Canadian Institute for Substance Use Research, Canadian Mental Health Association's BC Division, Family Smart, Jesse's Legacy, the North Shore Family Services Program, and Mood Disorders Association of BC, a branch of Lookout Housing and Health Society. The BC Partners are funded and stewarded by BC Mental Health and Substance Use Services, an agency of the Provincial Health Services Authority. For more information, visit heretohelp.bc.ca.